With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. I hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. October 26th, the last week of Pink Nausea. And we are once again live on the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adults with cancer. We are your friendly neighborhood weekly social webcast, finally giving that voice to nearly 5 million young adults affected by cancer. Got cancer under 40? Sucks, huh? Well, get busy living because the Stupid Cancer Show is on the air. Welcome to tonight's broadcast, my friends. We are here to change the world one chemo infusion at a time and share all of our collective crapness. This broadcast is a program of the I'm Too Young for This Cancer Foundation, one of the nation's leading grassroots advocates for the next generation of survivors and co-survivors. It's all about us, folks, and we are bringing the cause of cancer under 40 to the national spotlight and sticking it to a system that's ignoring us for way too long. The past three decades of cancer progress have failed the next generation of survivors. So there's no reason to think the next 30 years will be any different unless change happens right here, right now. Join us and be the change that needs to happen. Hell, we invented Google, Facebook, Twitter. We kept Sanjaya on Second Life. Uh, I don't know what, I read that wrong. We kept Sanjaya on American Idol all those weeks. Sorry, folks, I need some Xanax. We can do anything we want. This is Generation Cancer. It is our fight and our duty to give back to our own generation. We have the sheer numbers and the voting power and the influence to change the rules because remission is no excuse for cure and survivorship is all that matters. Last week's show, Stand Up to Stupid Cancer with Fed Bernal, young adult survivor of testicular cancer, investigator and associate assistant professor at the National Institute of Health and an instructor of pediatrics, Dana Farber, who is in the chat room tonight. Thanks, Fred, for joining us in the chat room. Diane Balma, young adult survivor of breast cancer and the executive director of Stand Up 2 Cancer. 
and Laura Schauber, Scientific Advisory Committee Member for Stand Up to Cancer, Ovarian Survivor, and the CEO of Phenomics. Last week's show, Phenomenal. Tonight's show, Parenting with Stupid Cancer. In our spotlight, Aaron Spicer, testicular survivor, chairman of the I2Y Young Adult Leadership Cabinet. In the roundtable tonight, Jamie Reno, lymphoma survivor, author of Hope Begins in the Dark, and a singer-songwriter contributing artist to the I2Y CD Volume 2. Jen Singer, non-Hodgins lymphoma survivor, moderator of Parenting with Cancer on Planet Cancer. Roseanne Curry, a.k.a. Baldy Locks, young adult survivor of AML and a bone marrow transplant, blogger of the Adventures of Baldy Locks. And Julie Larson, returning champion, young adult cancer advocate, program director of Young Adult Services for Cancer Care. It'll be a great show. So hello, my friends, and welcome to yet another fun-filled and exciting romp to the hay on tonight's Stupid Cancer Show. And a stupid cancer welcome to all of our first-time listeners here on the Blog Talk Radio Network, especially anyone from last week's show in D.C., the Andrew McMahon concert, and anyone listening from the I'm Still Beautiful event in Nashville, which was an incredible success that Jack and I will talk about. Coming at you live from the Chemo Deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan, I'm your host, Matthew Zachary, a 13-year survivor of pediatric brain cancer, and joining me live in the studio tonight as always, our chief cancer anarchist, Jack Buford. Hello, Jack. Hi, Matt, and you are still beautiful. Oh, you're, you're always beautiful oh, to me, you. Sugar Bear. Thank you so much. That All was right. a good event. I, I, yes. Unfortunately, like you said, chemo doesn't cure ugly. So That's right. So with that said, Jack will be monitoring our live concurrent interactive chat room. So if you have something to say, let him have it. Grill him with your simple questions to stump his small mind. We got Las Vegas in the house, Matt. Vegas in the house. Who's from Vegas? Uh, it's, well, someone registered as a guest. I uh, don't know the name yet. Guest but. 3969. Identify yourself or forever hold your peace. Stacy Martello. All right, Stacy. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Carol Rosenthal, my esteemed colleague here, will be is off tonight. Um, hailing from the Windy City of Chicago. Uh, she is the author of the acclaimed book, Everything Changes, The Insider's Guide to Cancer in Your 20s and 30s. Uh, you can get her book uh, wherever books are sold. Her website is everythingchangesbook.com. Carol will be joining us back here next week for our show. So um, anyway, Julie, say hello. Well, hello there, Matt. How are you? Good. I also want to introduce, uh, not introduce because she's been on the show many times, the chief. What's your title? Chief Token Jewish Intern. Our Chief Token Jewish Intern, Anna Brower. Hello. Is here with us. And Anna gets special applause because she is Thank you. She's 21 years old and fabulous. Special. And she's very special. But she's uh, coming up on her nine-year cancerversary of stage four Hodgkin's when she was 12 years old. Woohoo! So good for you. How are you enjoying you. being our intern? Um, well, I get to play with Jack all the time, so, you know, it's terrible. Okay. She's learning. Um, throwing pencils at me is not considered playtime. <laughs> so, Julie, you're, um, I guess you're going to co-moderate with us. How are you doing these days? Absolutely. Not a problem. Always a pleasure to be here, Matt. Love it. It's good. We're going to do a lot of talking about parenting with cancer. Very important topic and something that people often have a lot of questions about. So I think it's a, a really important show that you're doing here tonight. Hey, uh, Jack, why is your phone ringing? 
You can hear my phone ring? I can, yeah. Why is your phone? Oh, hang on. You're supposed to turn that off during the show. Sorry, hold on a second. Hold on. Hello? Hey, Mom, what's up? No, Mom, I'm doing the show. You want to come on the show? No, Mom, that's not what tonight's show is about. It's parenting with stupid cancer, not parenting stupid kids. All right. Nope. Uh, all right. No problem. I love you too. All right. Sorry, Matt. That was my mom. She thought the show was about parenting stupid kids. Of course, and that was that wasn't staged at all. No, because my mom would never crack on my siblings like that. Oh boy. Of course not. Well, anyway, yeah. So uh, just to recap, this week Jack and I were in Nashville uh, for the second annual "I'm Still Beautiful" fashion show and concert. Raising Awareness for Young Adults and I2Y. We have to thank a whole host of people for this extraordinary event, all of the names of whom I have forgotten except for Kimberly Novacell. Sierra. Sierra. Um, I have to go back to my Facebook page and look at my status because there were so many people, and I really don't want to disenfranchise them, but just a, an insane amount of amazing people uh, who contributed. I will pull this up in just a second because it's really important. Here we go. I know who they are. Libby Marshall, Heather Trabuco, Sierra Mack, um, uh, Carrie Hickman, and Kimberly Novacell, and their incredible team down there in Nashville who put together an extraordinary event for us, raising tons of money and tons of awareness. Um, and, and we got to look at models that are cancer survivors. We got to look at hot cancer survivor models. I don't think anyone would ever turn that opportunity I, down. And I know that a lot of people who you know follow us on Facebook and Twitter and everything like they're concerned about our well-being because we travel so much and we're always on the road and stuff. And I can tell you that this trip was no problem because we were <laughs> hanging out in the back, having beer, drinking pizza. No, hold on. I think I said that wrong. <laughs> having pizza, drinking beer. Jack's drunk tonight. Watching models on a runway. Yes. So thank you to all you lovely ladies for putting that together. Um, really extraordinary stuff. Tomorrow I'm driving. I'm flying. I wish I was driving. I'd be, then I'd be, I'd be there like in three days from now. I'm flying to um, Southern California to meet with our chairman, Dr. Leonard Sender, to give a presentation to a bunch of doctors about young adults of all things, and that should be very interesting. Um, so other than that. What well, else would you fly across the country to talk about? Probably not much. Yeah. And then, aren't we going somewhere next week? No. When is the Livestrong? Uh, well, I'm going to D.C. next week. Yes. For the, uh, I forget the exact title, but it's the, uh, it's the Gynecological Cancer. It's like a three-day event in D.C. My D.C. BFF, Tamika Felder, is speaking at it. Yes. And I'm going to be presenting I2I. Got it. And our friends from the band No Evidence of Disease are going to be there. Yes. Yeah. NED, No Evidence of Disease, is a band consisting of all gynecologic uh, healthcare professionals. Yeah, like they're, well, they're oncologists and, and surgeons. Yeah. yeah, and they all play instruments. And they're really good. They're really. They good. played a show in Portland, Oregon last night that we were invited to, and uh, our Portland BFF Matt Lowney was there, and he said they just rocked the place. Wow. Yeah. So they're going to be down there in D.C. So I'm going to be there with them, and then the week after, you and I are going to Austin for the Livestrong Young Adult Alliance meeting. That's right. That's right. But it's not going to be as much fun this year because Julie Larson can't go. That's right, Julie. You're not coming to Austin this year. You better have a good excuse for not coming. Uh, unfortunately, I will not be in Austin this year because soon after that date, we will be giving birth to, I will be more specifically giving birth okay, we to the baby Is there something I should know about? <laughs> no, just me. I'll okay. be doing that. But yeah, the, it's such a such a good conference. So sorry that I won't be able to be there. But gosh, something you got a good lineup coming up, a, a band, a 
models last week. You guys are living the life in young adult cancer. We're giving people the illusion we're living the life. It's all about the illusion, folks. That's right. But we know what we're doing. We're saving the world one chemo infusion at a time. (laughs) Yes, Yes, we are. One slice of pizza and one beer and one model, our Uh, fashion show at a time. I guess that's the way it works. Oh, I have no. Oh wait, game. we have a we have a, a a comment for you, Jack, in the chat room. Allie Ward is also feeling jealous that you're only giving Julie hate for not coming to Austin. Oh uh, well, yeah. Well, I I would love if Allie could come with us too, and I think she should. I'm going to bring her as my carry on. Okay. All right, Allie. I'm down with that. But you have to karaoke with me. That's the catch. I also want to point out this week that yes, this is week four pick nausea, and that is all I'm mentioning about it during the show. I'm so sick and tired of it that I specifically programmed tonight's broadcast to be nothing about breast cancer. But I do want to thank the media, the mainstream media, not the liberal media, just the mainstream media, for uh, exposing the hypocrisies and corporate abuse of Pink this year with numerous phenomenally written, well-executed investigative journalism and articles in Newsday, the Wall Street Journal, um, uh, Boston Globe, the Boston Globe, New, uh, I said Newsweek, right? Yeah. The New York Times, Newsweek, the Boston Globe, <laughs> the Stupid Cancer Blog. Yes. So, with that said, that is the um, that is the closest we're coming to talking about breast cancer this week. Uh, I'm but glad that doesn't it. mean we're anti-breast cancer awareness. Right. We're anti-pink nausea in the way that it's cr- that the color pink is crammed down our throats. Yes. And that everybody who's selling something just slaps the pink ribbon on it and barely donates any of the money. Exactly. So, everybody. with that said, we now put. Pink nausea to bed. Does that mean I can't use pink in the chat room anymore? It's the end of pink nausea as we know it, and I feel fine. There we go. Okay. I'm going to keep my day job. I'm going to switch from pink <laughs> to something else in the chat room. So. All right. Oh, all right. So, uh, so like without Carol, we have nothing to talk about. Julie, say something. Keep us, keep us interesting. Well, uh, gosh, let's see. What, what's, what's new, what's exciting in, in, in everybody's world out there in young adult oncology? Um, cricket, cricket. <laughs> There's nothing exciting in young adult oncology. I can, can I give a shout-out to my Connecticut BFM, BFF, Karen Diamond, for finishing her Hodgkin's lymphoma treatment? Okay, she, we can do that. She finished a couple of days ago, and Karen, you're listening, and you're a rock star, and I love you to death, and I'm really proud of you, so keep on rocking. You know, that, maybe that should be a new feature of your show, is that people could, like, kind of write in and say they finished their treatment, they got a good scan. You could give them a shout-out on like the show. It's like the opposite of Romper Room. Yeah, like, you know, people get, like, a, like a yell. You and know, Joseph and, and Emily and, and Tommy. Do you have any idea Peter? what Romper Room is? No. <laughs> because you didn't live the 80s like we did. She didn't live in the 80s. <laughs> well, she lived two years in the 80s. Okay. She was born in 88. God bless you. I think I still have underoos from 1988. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Not surprising yeah, to too, anyone. Too bad you're not having a boy. I can hand them down to you. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe thank goodness. <laughs> Jack, I don't even want to know what your 21-year-old underoos look like. Well, they haven't been blessed, but they're very holy. <laughs> oh, that's so bad. Oh boy. All right. Well. Hence the reason why my mom wanted to be on the show tonight. Fair enough. Fair enough. Anyway, so just Romper Room, for, for your own edification, was a, a children's show in the late 70s and early 80s where basically it was like um, 
like everyone was in like a like a, a playroom and they did activities with little kids. But the most important part of Ralph was at the end of the show, they announced the names of people like like they were personally talking to me. And they at the end of the show, and we'd like to say goodbye to Tommy and Peter and Jackie and Jesse and and for the eight years that I watched the show, they never said Matthew. Stupid romper room. Yes, exactly. So, but what Julie is suggesting is that we reinvent the romper room model, have people send us their cancerversaries and their treatment schedules, and then we can rattle off their names at the end. And congratulations to Tommy and Peter and Jimmy and Matthew. Don't people like to celebrate the, like, good scan or the anniversary in some way? You got to give it, like, a shout-out? Yeah. I don't know. People like to hear their name. You just want to prolong the show. I do. Yeah, with cancerversaries. And now for our cancerversary of the yeah, day. How many listeners do you have that could go on? That could be in a whole hour. 26,000 listeners? Yeah. yeah. Well, awesome. Matt has 26,000 listeners. I have about four or five. Yeah. I Most people listen to me. <laughs> ah, you know what else was in the news this week? Was the whole Coleman in Egypt thing. Oh, that's a story. That's a story. Coleman is about breast cancer, though. Well, there's breast cancer in Egypt. Yeah, but I thought we weren't talking about breast cancer tonight. You're not oh. talking about anything because you're just an intern, and you're lucky I'm sharing my microphone with you. <laughs> oh, she's a gape. I guess we can no talk. Words. No words. No words. No, but honestly, the Komen thing in Egypt had little to do with breast cancer. It had to do with, with politics. In, and if those of you are not familiar with this story, um, Komen was holding an international breast cancer summit in Cairo, and at the last minute, the Egyptian government banned all of the doctors coming from Israel to the summit in like a huge Nazi feat of, you know, anti I called it onco-Semitism. And it was just terrible. And there was a huge uproar. The UJA, the Simon Wiesenthal Foundation, the, um, what's the other one? The Anti-Defamation League. They all sent out these huge press releases defaming Coleman. Like they should step, they should like recuse themselves of the summit. And the, the stance of Coleman was, it's more important that we get this done than we face the fact that they're bigots. But, and they just got more and more heat. And eventually, apparently, something changed, and the, Israeli, the Egyptian government caved and allowed the Israeli scientists and researchers to come to the conference. I don't know what that says about the state of the world, but uh, kudos to Cohen for, for holding their ground, but I think they got lucky. Yeah, definitely. Interesting. Interesting. Well, all right. Well, let's get to the news here. Let's let's cue this up and uh, and pull this off. Here we go. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is I on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Alrighty. During this part of the stupid cancer show, we announce worthy news stories to our adoring listeners to inform them about the latest and greatest in free young adult programs, services, events, projects, and other stuff. If you have an upcoming program, event, or press release that you would like to hear broadcast during this segment, please fax it to us at 877-794-6902 or send the email to jackbefard at jack at i2i.com. All right, Jack, take it away. Thank you, Matthew, and here's your stupid cancer news. I am going to kick off tonight's news broadcast with my favorite event going on in New York City this Wednesday, October 28th from 530 to 8. It is the first annual Young Survivors Wellness Night. I guess that would make it the inaugural. 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 
Young Survivors Wellness Night being presented by our friends at the Young Survival Coalition and Cancer Care. The program includes yoga by Vanessa Watson, Julie Larson, we know her, she's sitting right next to me looking fabulous, Yes. and Paisley Stowe. It's a free event, but space is limited, so to reserve your spot, you can RSVP Melissa Snyder at M. Snyder, that's M-S-N-Y-D-E-R at YoungSurvival.org, or Julie Larson at JLarson at CancerCare.org. I'd be there, but sorry, Julie, it's Game 1 of the World Series. Right. <laughs> Moving on to Cook's Children's Adult Group Annual Retreat being held January 29th through the 31st in 2010. Contact Lisa Bashmore. At area code 682-885-2125. Head on over to events.i2y.com. Events.i2y.com is the official social calendar of the Omsi Young for this Cancer Foundation. We have numerous upcoming events. The calendar in November is starting to fill up. But the big one, next Saturday in New York City, is our inaugural Stupid Cancer Scare-tacular. Again, that's events.i2y.com. California, the third Tuesday of each month from 6 to 7.30 at the Reflection House in Santa Rosa is the Young Adult Cancer Support Group. To RSVP for this. Ooh, there's snacks provided. I might fly out there just for that. To RSVP, contact Michelle Kane at area code 707-525-5300. And this Young Adult Cancer Support Group is presented by the Leukemia Lymphoma Society. Are you a young adult cancer survivor who would like to begin an exercise program? If so, contact Santina Horowitz at shorowitz at lifespan.org, or you can reach Santina at area code 401-793-8124. Hey, Chicago, what's going on November 7th? Survivors, leave your parents at home. Come celebrate with other adolescent and young adult childhood cancer survivors. Johnny Immerman? Matthew Zachary and George Paris, Saturday, November 7th, from 5 to 8 at the Palace Grill in Chicago. Next up, we have 70K.org. That's the word 70, the letter K.org. There are approximately 70,000 people aged 15 to 39 diagnosed with cancer every year. For over two decades, there has been little or no improvement in survival for this age group. And by signing this bill, you are supporting the Adolescent and Young Adult Cancer Bill of Rights to be established as a standard for care to meet the needs of this underserved population. If you are a young adult male who is going to beginning, beginning your treatment soon, you most likely are in need of a live-on kit for sperm banking. Head on over to liveonkit.com. Live sperm banking by mail is made possible by our good friends at Fertile Hope. And for all your fertility needs, head on over to fertilehope.org. And finally... I begin the news, and I end the news with my favorite organization. Cancer Care Programs. The young adult groups that are active and running at Cancer Care are as follows. Living with Cancer, Life After Cancer, Young Adults Loss of a Parent, Young Women with Breast Cancer, and Young young Adult Individual Grief Counseling, as well as Young Adult Caregivers for all diagnoses and relationships. Once again, contact the fabulous Julie Larson at jlarson at cancercare.org. And that, my friends, is your stupid cancer news. I hate you both. You hate us both? <laughs> well, pardon me as I quit. 
Alright. You can hate me, but you can't hate Julie. Okay. No. I Unless you're talking to Anna. I'm talking to Anna. Oh, right, good. You, yeah. Oh, I completely understand. Yeah. Very nice. Oh, boy. Okay. In our Survivor Spotlight tonight is a gentleman who needs no introduction. However, if he had sent me an introduction, I would have read it. He is a... <laughs> he is a... Long-term survivor of non-godinal germ cells, something in his testicles. He happens to be one of the most astute, intelligent, and anti-Bupartist gentlemen I've ever known. He runs the I'm Too Young for This Cancer Foundation's Young Adult Leadership Cabinet, which is our national volunteer army. He deserves every accolade I could possibly throw him and more. And he's here because he's not only a dad, but he's a grandpa. And... Uh, Returning champion, please welcome to the show. Welcome back to the show, the only Aaron Spicer. Not the one and only, just the only. Have I met Aaron Spicer? I don't know. Aaron. Yes. Have we met? Jack, Aaron, Aaron, Jack. So. Oh, lucky me. Yeah, same here. How you doing, pal? Good, man. Nice talking to you guys. Wow, that was a one heck of an introduction. Thank you. Well, you know, you didn't send me anything, so I improvised. I was hey, going to say you were like a goat herder. file from the last time. We hired <laughs> our favorite fiction writer and came up with something good to say about you. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, you're, you're a long-term survivor, and, uh, I, you know, I, I don't think I know the answers to these. I, I probably should have to three years, but were you, you were not married when you were diagnosed, or you were? Yeah, I was married. Uh, I've been married to Tiffany now for 13 years. Okay. And, uh... You remind me again of the history of your children. I always mess sure. that up. No, absolutely. So uh, when I married Tiffany, she already had a daughter. Uh, she had Brooke, and uh, Brooke's my stepdaughter. She is now 17, and uh, about eight years into our marriage, we had our first uh, child of our own, which should have probably thrown a red flag that you know it was taking so long, and I just never went and found out why. I don't know why, but lesson to everybody. <laughs> But uh, once we did uh, have our child, we had Alexander uh, about eight years into our marriage. Okay. And uh, Julia wants to chime in here because I think that we get some, some some degree of professional going oh, okay. on here. <laughs> so then, Aaron, so you you were you were diagnosed, and, and it, you said it took you some time before you kind of realized what was going on. Can you say a little bit more about that? Oh yeah, sure. Um, so in 2001. Um, I was misdiagnosed uh, first. They had uh, told me that I had a rare chest disease called uh, pulmonary sarcoidosis. So for several years I was being uh, treated uh, such as and, uh, you know, given steroids and everything else mm -hmm. to help the inflammation and everything. And by 2005, uh, my wife and I had just had our first child in August of 2005. Uh, I had a great job opportunity and I moved down to Florida. And uh, from November of that year, uh, we moved down in September. And then from uh, November, I got really sick and just wasn't sure what was going on. I thought it was the stress of the job that I was in and decided to uh, maybe uh, just hold off. I, I didn't want to go and see a doctor or anything, so I waited quite a while. I waited until April. And by April, uh, I was walking around and pretty much near death. So uh, mm -hmm. went into the hospital, and doctors uh, struggled around for about four or five months before they finally decided that uh, they didn't want to you know, misdiagnose me again. So they sent me up to the Mayo Clinic where I was... Uh, Within the first couple of days of being there, I was uh, officially diagnosed as having a rare form of a testicular cancer. 
Mm-hmm. Which makes the whole uh, child thing uh, quite an amazing story for the doctors to hear after they find that out. <laughs> Absolutely, sure. that you that you had it. Didn't when you were diagnosed, you had a young your son. You, you said your son, right? Yeah, was he, just born in August. Was, so a young was, guy. Yeah, so he was uh, born in 2005, and I was diagnosed in the summer of 2006. And then you had a stepdaughter who was 17. Yeah, now she is. She was 13 at the time. 13 at the time, which is a a tender age, too. A lot to talk about and certainly something that we're going to cover. Sure, sure. Yeah. Well, you know, and certainly when you talk about delay diagnosis and, and, you know, lack of suspicion on the doctor's part, that's a a whole other show, and I think that that happens a lot, too. So for people to even hear that that's happened to you. Oh, absolutely. You know, and going through that, you know, you don't know why you're sick all the time and you spend all your time walking around the house, uh, not having the energy to get up and spend time with your kid or your wife. And, you know, that that starts to really wear on everybody in the household. So, you know, when you have to go th- for another four or five years to finally figure out, oh, so there was something wrong with me. <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? And hard to, and sometimes easy to kind of dismiss when you've got a new baby in the house and life sure. is busy. Sure, you oh, know, yeah. you think, well, gosh, you know, I guess I'm supposed to be tired here. Yeah, yeah. You're going 12, 14 hours a day is the new job that I was working. I wanted to really impress the company I was working for and wanted to do a good job for everybody. And, you know, I I thought I was just wearing myself out and needed to slow down a little bit. And it just became to the point where it was just wearing and wearing and wearing on me. And I just couldn't stand it no more and ended up having to go into the hospital one night after working a full day. So it Mm -hmm. it gets to you and, uh, you know, everybody around the house starts to notice, especially your children, you know. Yeah. And you know what, you know, I know that, you know, kind of that all that late diagnosis, that's certainly a topic for another night and something we sure. could talk about for hours. Once you got that diagnosis, how was it talking to the thir- your 13-year-old stepdaughter? How, you know, what did she, how did you do that and how did she kind of respond to the news? Yeah, well, it kind of came on a shock to everybody um, when we first found out about it. I was up in Minnesota and, uh, you know, my wife w- was back at home and I pretty much had told her, you know, I'm, we're pretty sure it's cancer, you, you know, you need to come right up here. And uh, it was a whole week that the, we were supposed to come back and have a surgery to remove all the tumors, and the doctors decided, no, we needed to do it right away. Mm. So it, it, it unfortunately had to take uh, place, like, immediately with the, the children to, mm-hmm. hey, we've got to go, and we've got to take you up to Grandma's house in Ohio. We were down in Naples, Florida. Wow. So they had to fly up, and, uh, you know, the conversation had to go on the plane, you know, as they're getting ready to get on a plane with, uh, you know, Tiffany to the daughter and explain to her that, you know, all this time Aaron's been really sick and, you know, he he might have cancer. So mm-hmm. then, you know, so then when we uh, we finally found out, you know, it was, she was already prepared for it. She was a strong young girl, you know. Mm-hmm. She grew up way too fast for her, you know, for her age, but she knew what was going on and she had a hard time dealing with it, of course. And, you know, those are some, you know, tough topics that we can discuss as well. I mean, it, it's very rough on a kid when you, at that age especially, you know, she's going through a transitional period of going into the junior high, you know, from being in grade school and, you know, dealing with a parent who's taken all the attention away from her mother, mm-hmm. you know, who is her her uh, daughter, you know, her mom. So you've got to deal with that whole situation as well. So. Yeah, well, you know, a couple of things, and maybe we'll be able to come back to that when we when we have our our roundtable too. But sure. you know, when um when you know you have to introduce grandparents and have them get involved to be part of the caretaking team, and and right. how that works with the kids too. A lot of new routines, a lot of new rhythms, and and expectations on everybody, and that sure. that that plays a role in the whole family dynamic. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I, I want to. Aaron, you're going to stick with us, but I wanted to just sure. have you on the show first. Um, oh. We're going to we're going to bring in our guests one at a time as they call in. So uh, let me introduce. Um, let me see who's here. 
Okay. All right, joining the roundtable here without any music cues, I'm going to introduce a returning champion, Jamie Reno, a friend of mine, who is an award-winning Newsweek journalist, author, singer-songwriter, cancer survivor, patient advocate, uh, author of two amazing books, uh, one called Hope Begins in the Dark, the other is called Snow on the Pitcher's Mound, and um, really, really meaningful, influential guy, uh, impactful guy. And um, I uh, really happen to have him on the show to talk about what his life has been like as a parent and uh, what his book is about in, you know, in terms of um, the opposite side. Our organization is mostly based on the frame through the lens of being in your 20s and 30s and dealing with cancer. Uh, if you're like Aaron, if you're in your 30s with cancer as a parent, uh, Jamie's book takes the other approach, which is equally poignant about children who have cancer and how they deal with their parents. So, Jamie, uh, welcome to the welcome back uh, to the Stupid Cancer Show. Matthew, great to be here. Hello, hello. Great to be here, guys. Thanks for having me again. So, uh, I'm, I'm not nearly as good an interview as Carol. I'm learning from her. <laughs> <laughs> No, you're you're fine. You're just fine, Matt. Thank you very much. Well, I guess I'll use her language. Talk a little bit about what it's like to be a parent uh, whose child has cancer. Well, you know, Matt, my book is actually about a parent who has cancer, and the child. It's through the child's voice. Oh, that's even yes. better. Yes, and I, you know, it's called Snowman on the Pitcher's Mound, and uh, yeah, you know, it's it's written in his. He's a, he's a ten-year-old boy. His name is Tyler Paulson. He's a little leaguer. He loves baseball. And it's, it's written in his voice. And this book just literally just came out this past week. And uh, he talks about, you know, he talks about what it's been like. Uh, his mom was diagnosed uh, with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, uh, of which you know I'm a survivor. Yes. And uh, that's, you know, that's really the sort of the, the framework for the book. It kind of came out of, you know, a lot of my own life. This is not. This is a. You know, it's a work of fiction, but you know, there's, there's a lot of truth in the book. And uh, anyway, he talks about. It's, again, it's in his voice, and he talks about uh, his life in, in a small town in Iowa, and it's set in the modern day. And he, it's in his voice, and he talks about um, what it's like for his mom to have cancer, and what all the things that the boy has been going through. He's he's had a rough time. You know, he's. Um, he can't sleep. He's had bad dreams. He got in a fight in school. He's flunking his math test. He's, you know, he's got all this stress on him. And mm -hmm. he's talking about, you know, he's actually seeing a, 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 a child psychologist in the school. And, you know, I, I wrote this book really, obviously it came out of, a lot of it came out of my conversations I've had with my own daughter. But I really wrote the book um, hoping that, you know, it, it would allow children and their parents to sort of understand a child's natural course of anger, frustration, confusion, sadness, fear. You know, I, to me, when a parent gets cancer, the silent, sometimes forgotten victims are the children. Well, and you know, you're talking an awful lot about the feelings. And, and so often, I think a lot of children's book and a lot of children's literature, are how do you cover the basics and the facts and the and the and sometimes feelings are mentioned, but we don't spend a lot of time on feelings. And that there are so many complicated things that children worry about and right. um, can express in different ways that come out at school or different things. And it sounds like your book really does a great job at kind of talking and normalizing, if I can use a social worky word, yeah. <laughs> normalizing <laughs> a lot of those feelings. 
Yeah, I tried to, you know, I tried to make the boy very real, and you know, obviously, I had to tap into the sort of the child inside of me to speak in a a child's voice. But you know, as a patient advocate, Julie and Matt, I've been, you know, I've traveled all over the country and talked to hundreds of families, maybe thousands of families, and you know, a lot of times when a parent gets cancer, you know, the parent kind of becomes the child, and they, you know, we become scared and vulnerable, and we don't always have all the answers, you know, even for ourselves, and sometimes we don't know all the right things to say to a child. So I'm hoping that this book will help both the child and the, and the, and the adult sort of understand where each one is coming from, mm-hmm. and maybe, you know, maybe even facilitate a dialogue uh, that may have not, you know, may not have otherwise taken place. Which is often kind of the, the the foundation of a lot of this conversation is communication and yeah, and how totally. do you begin those com- those talks and you know I know that I sit with a lot of um, young parents in my office who are just hearing the news and getting the information and and they're really they're they're not only trying to understand treatment plans and right. how to negotiate work schedules but they're really struggling over how in the world do we talk to our kids about this and what do we Absolutely. say what's appropriate and what's not. Absolutely. And, and so I think, you know, kind of be using a book, and, and I, I often give a lot of books. It's good to know about your new book out there. But using a book to kind of help help start the conversation is always a good thing to do. And you know what? I think, if I may say, I think the one void out there um, in the marketplace is a book like this that actually, and this is written for boys and girls, of course, but, you know, this is a story that I'm hoping will reach boys who are the hardest you know, young boys are the hardest demographic to reach. Mm-hmm. And this book is about baseball, and it's got a lot of boy stuff in it. And it's, you know, there's a lot of humor in it. It's not a, you know, this book is not a downer at all. You know, it's a joyful book about a very serious topic. Mm-hmm. And my, my hope is that, you know, I'll be able to reach some of those boys that, you know, are, are really suffering. and Their parents have cancer, but it's very hard for someone, you know, for anyone to get through to them. Well, we have our, our other two guests for the roundtable just joining us right now, so let me introduce the two of them, and uh, we'll bring them into the conversation. Uh, Roseanne Curry and Jen Singer. Um, I'm going to read your quick bios here, but welcome to the show. Jen is a non-Hodgkin's lymphoma survivor and the mother of two tween boys, creator of the award-winning website mamasaid.net, which is a great, great resource, author of the Stop Second Guessing Yourself Parenting Book Series, and uh, you're a good mom, and your kids aren't so bad either. Uh, parts of what she wrote while undergoing chemo, chronicling her parenting with cancer experience for good housekeeping. Uh, she's the moderator of the Parenting with Cancer boards on Planet Cancer, uh, a really good friend of the show. Uh, welcome, Jen. Hi, thanks for having me on. Cool. And Roseanne Curry uh, is a single parent to three sons and was a university honor student of fine arts when diagnosed with leukemia at 33 undergoing a life-saving bone marrow transplant from her brother uh, three years ago, um, spending six months in the hospital away from her kids. Today, uh, she chronicles her journey on her blog called The Adventures of Baldy Locks. Um, Roseanne, welcome to the show. Hi. So let me, let me turn the conversation to the ladies here first. Um, we're, we're, there's so many different sort of permutations of, of, of social, you know, crapness, I guess, if you would, about how parenting comes into play if you're single when you're diagnosed do you have children yet will you be able to have children and then what that's like uh i was hoping jen we could start with you and and talk about how um you know how your life was really affected and and how you 
have chosen to give back through this website and your blogs and what that means to other parents? What kind of response have you gotten from that world? Well, I, 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 all great questions. Uh, our lives were completely turned upside down. I was, you know, I was a mom and soccer coach and class mom and the whole thing with the minivan and the, you know, the car full of boys making fart noises in the back. That was my life. And um, my my boys were 10 and 8 when I was diagnosed at 40. And I suddenly, you know, wound up in the hospital for most of June of 2007. I wasn't here. At the same time, we were having complete housewide construction, because why not? But uh, frankly, it was uh, we had no kitchen, and everyone was cooking for us, so I thought that was pretty good cancer planning. Mm-hmm. But it was really, really tough on my boys, because uh, they were old enough to know what was going on. In fact, Two nights before I was diagnosed, my son, Christopher, who was eight at the time, asked me, what's the worst disease you can get? And I said, cancer. Mm. And then two, two days later, I wound up with cancer and had to explain, you know, what it meant for us. And, and it, it, it was tough explaining to them. And I think that the hardest thing for them is to understand that, you know, you're there for them, but you're not there for them. And also that they didn't cause it. Even kids as old as 8 and 10 start to wonder if it was their fault. They saw Absolutely. something wrong or whatever. So it was very important to explain that it, it was not their fault. That's a good point to make, Jen. And, and I, I think that parents sometimes assume that their children understand some, some of these basic things, that it's very, very important to continually verbally reiterate you didn't cause this, there's nothing you do. Not even just the cancer, but even just, you know, when you choose to lay down and take a nap. Or not, that you can't be there for every, you know, school concert or school game, that it's nothing that they did. It's not their fault. There's right. there's other things going on. Well, and it's still, in, you know, I'm almost two years in, in remission now, and I, and I find that if I'm not feeling well, even just from a cold, they both, they get to look in their eye like something terrible is going to happen. I have to reassure them that, no, it's just a cold. Mm-hmm. It's hard on them. Yeah. So, so turning to Roseanne for a second, Roseanne, you're a single parent. I'm sure yeah. that throws an entirely different mechanic into the wrench of monkey nonsense. Yeah, uh, I'm sure it does. <laughs> so uh, I, I, obviously everyone wants to know the origins of your blue wig, but I think we, let's talk a little bit first about, you know, what kind of traction your, your blog has gotten and, and um, you know, have you met other single parents along the way who've, you know, resonated with your story and, and what kind of impact have you had with that? Um, online I have. Um, in real life I've been having a lot of trouble connecting with people um, that have been through this. I I can't seem to find people, so I sort of stick to online. Um, on Saturday I actually went to the Light the Night walk and met a few other survivors of AML, which I was just flabbergasted to meet because I haven't met anybody yet. Mm-hmm. Well, they're out there. You just got to find are, them. But, yeah, uh, finding them is very difficult to see them face to face. So it was quite a relief to me, actually. But you know, Roseanne, you actually, you know, you're kind of indirectly touching on a on a on a poignant, you know, thing to t- to talk about or to note is that as a single parent, you're incredibly busy, 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 and mm-hmm. everything's falling onto your shoulders. Yes. So not only are you kind of coordinating a lot of children's schedules, but when in the world do your own needs get met? You know, how do you find that support that you're personally needing in the midst of this, which is also a very important part about supporting your kids, is that you feel like you're getting support as well. Yeah, it's it's pretty hard. I mean, I was single parenting, you know, we were very active. We were always out. We were always busy at parks and and I'd never really been away from them. And suddenly I was diagnosed and thrown on a helicopter 
um, taken to the city that dealt with AML and leukemia and bone marrow transplants, and um, I didn't get to see them. It was it was quite traumatic. So, um, yeah, it was pro- probably not the usual experience for people getting diagnosed. I don't think. Did other did the other did you know did you Jen or Jamie did you also find that you know kind of finding ways to meet your own needs in the midst of caring for your kids was was tricky? Yeah, it's always it's always a delicate balance, you know, and that I've had so many discussions with my daughter. Um she's 9 now and, and we've talked you know many times uh, you know about if if and when daddy gets sick again because I've been in remission for some time now and you know I sort of I'm trying to it's very hard. I'm trying to prepare her without scaring her. Yeah, and that's a tough that's a tough one. It's a real delicate balance. But I wanted to know that I'll always be there for her and if I do if dad does get sick again it doesn't mean I don't love you. It just means I'm I'm trying to get well. Uh, it's really a hard, sometimes a rather emotional conversation. But I think it's important for parents who've had cancer to have that conversation. You know, even if they're in remission, just to you know give their their kids reassurance that you know you love them so much. And if you do get sick again, you, you know, Daddy may be not as able to always be there, but I'm always going to be here um, as much as I can. It just it's just a it's, it's just something you kind of have to just feel your way through. You know, there's no perfect way to tell your child something like that. I have to agree with Jamie. That was very well put. I mean, you know, for I had aggressive B cell, non-Hodgkin, so I had scan PET scans every um, three months for the first year and every four months this year. And of course, you know, every time I come up near a scan, there's I, I'm panicked, and and um, my my younger son told me he didn't want to know about scans unless they were good. So, you know, right. I wasn't going to tell him. I would have to go for a BMT, and I would have to tell him I'm not going to be here. And right. so one time I didn't tell him until the next day, and I told him, you know what, it came up clear. And, and I said, and I didn't tell you about it. Do you think, and he said, well, I kind of knew something was going on. I said, do you think maybe next time I can just let you know? He said, yeah, we should talk about it. I have a question for the group. Um, it involves almost like when your children are in school, I'm sure the situation arises. I'm not a parent, of course, but I was curious to know if there's any stigma with, like, the PTA groups or the other children who see their 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 classmates who have parents that are that are sick or have no hair. Is that something that comes up? It, it came up for me. I I um I had to go. I still had no hair. I was in radiation, and I went into class to my son's fourth grade class to talk about being an author. And my son said to me, the first thing he wanted me to explain was why I was wearing a headscarf and had to draw on my eyebrows. Mm-hmm. That was extremely important to him that, that I explained that to the class. So that was the first thing I did. I told everybody, you know, this I had cancer and this is what's going on. And, and all the kids kind of shrugged at me, like, why is this lady telling us this? But it was really important for my son for me to explain that. You know, sure. thankfully they have, there are more and more schools that have programs, like like my daughter's school has a program where kids actually get their hair cut to help uh, other kids who are going through chemo. Um, so there is, thankfully, there's a, there, at least in some schools, there's an increasing awareness, you know, of what cancer is. Um, not all schools are, are that progressive, but thankfully, at least there's some schools out there that are beginning to at least get it. Mm-hmm. When you bring up schools and um Roxanne, I didn't don't know if that was a that was a support network that you used as well. Was that your children's school and teachers to help you? I know that that's sometimes a good resource 
for parents as a kind of a helper to you to kind of have teachers and other people be aware of what's going on at home? Yes, we, we did our best with that. I had um, three kids in three different schools, as in elementary, junior high, and high school. Mm-hmm. So it was actually kind of hard to keep connected with them all, and I did my best, but um, it didn't always work out. And I have to say, my, my sons, you know, I asked them, I know it's sensitive for them, you know, to have a bald mother, and, and I said, how do you feel about that? Do you want me to wear a wig? How would you like me to present myself when I pick you up at school? Do you not want me to come? And I was so proud of them when they said, oh, no, we want you there. And they did mm. not care if I was bald. <laughs> Sorry. Mm. Still makes me uh, choke up a little bit. But they were That's awesome. Proud of That's me. brilliant. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That speaks very highly of your kids. That's awesome. Yes. Um, well, you know, my kids didn't mind either. They let me go as Dr. Evil for Halloween two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and the last year the kids came around and seemed disappointed that I had hair. It was, it was very upsetting <laughs> to me. Like, why doesn't she have hair now? <laughs> You know, you're talking about, you know, kids kind of having some sense of understanding what's going on at home and and really, quite frankly, being incredibly sensitive and empathetic to you as their parents. And I think that's something also to remember, too. I talk to a lot of parents sometimes who say, you know, my child isn't saying anything to me or they seem kind of withdrawn. They don't really want to talk about it. And sometimes it's important to know, well, you know, they might be using other people, their friends, their teacher, the school social worker, because kids know that this could be upsetting to you. So they might turn to others. And I've watched that happen out of my office. I don't know if that is something that any of you experienced with your own children, that they kind of had bigger conversations with other people to protect you in some way. I think it's helpful. In my book, I put in a a lot of things about, like, like Tyler's friend, uh, one of his friends uh, had a mother who died. And, you know, I think sometimes it's easier for a kid to hear stuff from another kid who's gone through the same kind of thing. You know, I think it's really helpful. And kids don't obviously don't always have those kinds of conversations. But it, when, whenever it's possible, I think it's great for one kid to hear from another kid what it's like to have had a parent, you know, go through a cancer battle. Because it resonates more with a child than if you hear it from a, a teacher or a you know, some geeky authority figure. It's it's just better from a from a peer, mm-hmm. if and when that's possible. And that's not. I mean, it's not always possible, but whenever it's possible, it's it's preferred. James, I have a question. Going back to your comment before, and this is for everyone, of course. You yeah. mentioned that your daughter's school has almost like a cancer desensitization program or something like that. Do, kind of, that, yeah. Is that yeah. like a gap that needs to be filled around the country? Are, are there any standards of of you know best practices in 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 that? situation where where grade schools or middle schools should adopt this that's i know great, Strong has high school programs and college programs but right that's a great question yeah. there should be a standard that there should be you know i would i would call for legislation and you know i mean you, you can't force sensitivity on people but you can do things you can implement programs you know in schools in public schools that and that's simply education you know Letting them know a little bit more about, you know, what cancer is and what cancer does to you, because, uh, you know, I think that should be part of any, of any really well-rounded education to, is to understand, understand illness, because you know every kid, kids understand what sick means. Every kid understands, you know, what the word sick is, and it, they understand what, you know, what, what fever is, and they understand what throwing up is, and you know they get it. They do understand illness. So it's not that far-fetched to implement programs in schools to teach them a little bit more specifically, you know, without, you know, and again, I don't, 
I don't want to scare kids, but it is good for them to know. It's just well, it's part and from of what the world. I understand, um, based on what I know, um, the Leukemia Lymphoma Society actually does have a program that goes into schools, and it's right. not it's not for parents and, and the kids necessarily, as it is for the teachers and the staff, right. about kind of helping them to know when there's when there's a family in the school that this is something that they're dealing with at home, and right. and you bring up you bring up the co- the concept of sick. Mm-hmm. And it's just something that I know we talk a lot about. I don't know if you, any of you have felt this with your kids at all, but that the term sick kind of for kids often means the flu or the chicken right. things they can get. Right. And, you know, we've we've talked about, you know, helping kids remind them and reassure them that this is nothing that they did to cause this. But I think mm-hmm. the concept of having something be contagious is also Absolutely. a really important point for kids to know. Very good you know, point. You know, that, for me, I, I actually had that conversation with, with my son, he's four years old, and I mean, he had to grow up in front of it. So he was six months six months old when I was diagnosed with it. But he's getting to the point now, like I've got physical scars, you know, and if I don't have a shirt on or something, he'll see the scar there. And he's real prone to ask questions about that. And mm-hmm. you know, and he's he's always asking me, Daddy, you know, does your scar still hurt, or can can you still get sick? And then if he touches it, he goes, Daddy, I can't get sick from that. Right. You know, so at four years old, those questions are even coming up. So. I've Absolutely. had to I've had to face those right up front right you know at an earlier time than I thought I would have to with him but he's fully aware que- of that. I'm sorry the first question my daughter asked me when we really had a heartfelt uh dis- discussion about cancer when I thought she was old enough was um is it contagious? And I put that in my book as one of the one of the themes of the book is the fear of the boy that he could catch this thing. You know, yeah. so it's very much you know, they have so many questions, and that, that's kind of what I was saying. You're right. They understand sick, but they also need to understand the difference between flu and cancer. They have to understand that, among other things, it's not contagious. You can't catch this. When, um, were there any, you know, other than these, there there are these books out there, and, and anybody can kind of chime in here. I'm curious just to know. Um, any books that you use to kind of guide you or help you to know how to approach this with your children? You've got varying ages here, 10, 8, you know, little tiny little ones, yeah. 4, and, and you know, to help you kind of know where, where to do, how to communicate and best support your children. Well, can yeah, I but, chime in? Uh, I was just going to say, well, I was just going to say that I was introduced uh, to books from the Children's Treehouse Foundation, which are more kind of, what to you know? What how to how to cope when you're, you know how how to how a child can cope when your parent gets sick. They're more kind of how-to books, but they're wonderful. Um, and I actually my book is written in association with the Children's Treehouse Foundation, and their website is uh, Children's Treehouse FDN dot org. I believe that's their website. Um, and did but, you say that you oh so Children's Treehouse Foundation that was a place with that some how to and some books yes they have some books that really really can help you help a child as well as the parent when a, when a parent gets sick Didn't, it sounded like you were chiming in that there was something that yeah. you had found um, Dr Wendy Harpum has a book yeah. called When a When a Parent Has Cancer that oh, that's a, another one yeah <laughs> it's a great one and I, but you know what I found is I googled parenting with cancer and there wasn't much out there Not which much. is part of it, which is part of why I already knew um Heidi from Planet Cancer we had met the year before and uh, we were both actually 
chosen as Swiffer Amazing Women of the Year, and I, really? I called her up and I said, guess what, I'm even more amazing now, <laughs> I have cancer. <laughs> and I, they had no Parenting with Cancer uh, boards, and I suggested that we start that over there, so that's one place where you can go and talk to other parents that are going through the same thing. Absolutely. And that's why I wrote my book, too, because I didn't think there was anything out there nope. from the child's perspective. There um, isn't. You know, so it, it just the more, the more stuff there is out there, the better, you know. Yeah, mm-hmm. I actually received some information from the social worker because I was actually locked up in the hospital and couldn't see my kids um, until <sighs> I came back for the visit. And she gave me a lot of information um, that was actually quite helpful about different age levels and how they react and how they're feeling generally about it at those different ages, which I actually found quite helpful. That's good. The American Cancer Society has something on their website, too, about how to explain it to the different age groups. Yeah, and certainly, you know, um, Cancer Care, where I come from, we've got, a, we've got a lot of publications on talking to your children, and our whole Cancer Care for Kids program is for kids who have a mom or dad with cancer. But, you know, you bring up a good point there that with your, with your medical team that sometimes this isn't the first topic that they're thinking about. No, it isn't. <laughs> but, but that they might, in fact, know about resources. So if you, yeah. if you make a point of saying, you know, I do have young children and I'm, I'm not quite sure what to say or how to, how to support them, that the social workers and the nurses there may, may know of resources, but they're just not thinking of it right away. Well, I'm not thinking of it because when I was at the hospital, everyone was twice my age. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was just, I was sort of an anomaly on the floor. Yeah, it's, kind of a new, it's kind of a new, uh, it's kind of a new thing. Obviously, ch- children suffering when their parents have cancer is as old as cancer, but really thinking about it and and paying attention to it is relatively new. And thankfully, there are some resources now, but you know, not enough. And it's been it's it's been too recent that this has really become an important issue in the whole cancer world. Hey, Jen, I have a question for you. Um, mm-hmm. What types of questions or trends do you see on Planet Cancer uh, in terms of uh, the content that comes out there? What are, what, are, what are the commonalities or the common threads that you see? I think most parents feel uh, guilty that they can't be the parent that they normally were. Yeah. Um, and I think that that comes down to, you know, this is a time when you have to be selfish because it's the only way you're going to get better, and which is better for your whole family. But that's that's when you're used to putting yourself last and suddenly you have to put yourself first. That's very hard for many parents. Yep. And, and your website, Mama Said, what, what type of uh, information can people find there? Uh, MomSaid.net is, uh, I started it, um, gosh, it's almost seven years ago, and it's a place where moms can go for humor and validation. And, of course, while I was going through cancer, I uh, blogged about it there and also on uh, Good Housekeeping where I was blogging at the time about tweens so people would, you know, follow what was going on. And whenever I have a scan or something interesting going on, I, I, I add on to there. Well, we're we're coming toward the end of our show. We've got a, a few minutes left. I just wanted to to get an answer from everyone on the on the group here specifically about you know like in terms of day-to-day support like where are you each and I'll let you I'll I'll call your names out so we don't get uh, uh, sort of too many too many things at the same time but in, in with respect to where do you where do the you know you have to be the rock you have to be the anchor but where do anchors find anchors and whether you're married whether you're not where does that strength really come from? And, and are there are websites like Lots of Helping Hands and, and um, uh, My Lifeline and Care Pages. Uh, let's just start with Aaron. Where does where do you find the strength, Aaron? Where do those extra resources come from? Well, 
I'm pretty much a biased guy here, so uh, I2I is where I get most of my information, and you know the friends and community for, uh, for that kind of support. And I have met quite a few people out there who have gone through the same exact thing that I have. So it's usually the MT Young support group through Facebook, or you know who I've met along the way of you know being involved with you guys. So that's my uh, my pitch there. Jamie. Well, I'm going to have a little bit offbeat answer here, Matt, but I get so much of my strength from my daughter. And I know that sounds kind of, you know, counterintuitive because we're talking about parenting and helping our, our children, but I get so much strength from her courage and from her strength. She is really my inspiration, along with my wife. Uh, Baldy Locks? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Uh, my friends, I have to say, you know, most of the friendships that I had actually ended up disappearing and falling apart through all this. Um, it was pretty tough, but I've had a couple people stick by me, and, you know, I'm sick for weeks and weeks. It's been three years. I'm still sort of struggling. They come over. They find me on my bed. They sit on my bed with me. They have tea with me, and we just sit and joke and laugh, and that is the best thing I've found so far. Uh, just a real quick question. Where do, I mean, I I could kind of know the answer to this, but Baldy Locks. That wh- how did that come to your head? Baldy Locks. Yeah. So to speak. <laughs> Literally. The name Baldy Locks. Um, I don't know. I was really sick. It had been a year. Um, I'd been doing everything I could to try and connect and contact other people that have been through cancer and were around my age. I just had no luck anywhere. I was new to the internet. I didn't even know what a blog was. And then when I was when I was searching, I was finding blogs of people that had died, and I thought, this is ridiculous. I need to put something in there that's hopeful and happy, and people that are still alive, so they can find someone that's still alive, that's still talking about living with it. Right. And I don't know. I just I did it without thinking about it much, other than being really ticked and needing to connect with someone else. And it's it's really... It, it's just kept going and going, and I've met so many incredible people, and um, I wouldn't have had any of that otherwise. It's been an amazing experience for me. And, and it's uh, exciting, too. kind of drives me every day. <laughs> born of your condition. That's all All of our MOs right here. Jack? Yeah, Matt, similarly, uh, Allie Ward that we mentioned at the top of the show. Right. She was in the chat. Her blog is, or, or she refers to herself as the uh, red-headed bald chick. The red-headed bald chick. The red-headed bald chick, yeah. It's like from Charlie Brown, the little red-headed girl. Yeah, the little red-headed girl. You had one of those growing up. I did. I did. She wasn't bald, though. <laughs> uh, Jen Singer. Uh, well, I get, oh, I have, I'm really lucky. I have a lot of support. First of all, my husband today is our 18th wedding anniversary. Oh, hang um, on. you got applause for that one. 18 years? 18 <laughs> thank years. Thank you. All Congratulations on that one. Milestone. If you had a kid when you were married, they could drive a car now. <laughs> That's right, <laughs> and vote. Yeah. Um, my my children, of course. I'm still coaching soccer, and I love to do that. Um, and from writing, I, I, when I turn to writing and I put something down on a blog or in a book, and I hear back from somebody who said they felt the same way, or it made them laugh, or it made them cry, it it it, it makes me feel good. Julie, any uh, final thoughts here? been a great crowd. It has been a great crowd, and you all bring up, you know, a lot of diverse things that I think are important for a lot of people to hear. That, 
you know, where you turn for support, what you use. And, and sometimes support means people. And sometimes, like, like you said, Jen, it means writing and it means those things that kind of recharge your batteries and help you to kind of feel feel grounded again. Those are always important things to remember as part of this parenting task as well. Well, I think that this has been a really, really powerful show. Um, certainly we could have each of you on the show individually and have a, an entire hour's worth of conversation. But I want to thank you all for taking the time to be on tonight's broadcast and uh, sharing, you know, one of the one of the um, the lesser discussed serious issues of being a young adult uh, with cancer. Um, so I, I wish you all well, health, good luck. Jen, you're in Jersey. You owe me a visit. And uh, outside of that, um, uh, I wish you all a pleasant week. Thanks, guys. All right, thank, thank you, you. Bye, everybody. All righty, we night. have. Uh, Jen Singer, Jamie Reno, Rosanne Curry, Aaron Spicer in the chat room. And uh, it's a good show. It was. Bye-bye, Pink Nausea. Oh, my God. Thank God for that. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, what do we have next week, Jack? Uh, for the show? Yeah. What's next week? Oh, next week is Brain Fog, right? Uh, uh, we'll, fit right in. we'll fit right in. I don't remember because <laughs> the chemo brain setting up. <laughs> Well, Julie, thank you very much. You've been a lovely co-host tonight. Well, thank you. I'm always, like I said, good to be here. And, and again, just a final plug, cancer care is like the gold standard. If you don't know what cancer care is, just go to Google Cancer Care. Uh, they are brick and mortar here in New York, but they have an, a national outreach over the phone, over the web, uh, in uh, online groups. Really, really powerful stuff. If you, if you are a young adult and you just need someone to talk to, give Julie a call. Jay Larson at cancercare.org. Or what's the number? One eight hundred eight one three four six seven three. There you go. That's actually my second speed dial on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks, and now it's time for our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. All right, folks. That's tonight's show. I hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at Stupid Cancer. I'd like to thank our guests, Aaron Spicer, Jamie Reno, Jen Singer, Roseanne Curry. Co-host Julie Larson in our live city audience, ITOI intern Anna Brower. Next week, November 2nd, Stupid Cancer Brain Fog. In our spotlight, Kate Goldberger, AYA survivor of ALL, regional chair of the ITOI New York City Metro Chapter, board of directors, trustee for ITOI, and the IT manager at Dr. Miracles. Kate Burton, young adult breast cancer survivor and writer and blogger of the website Answer Cancer. Now what? And Adele Davidson, breast cancer survivor and co-author of the book Your Brain After Chemo. If you've missed any of our previous broadcasts, check out the archives at stupidcancershow.com or subscribe to our podcast at iTunes on i2y.com. If you don't already have Carol Rosenthal's book Everything Changes, the insider's guide to cancer in your 20s, 30s, it is available wherever books are sold. Remember, if it's not stupid, it's not cancer. We'll see you all back here next week, my friends, live from the chemo deck. Jack Lafar, Julie Larson, Anna Brower, Captain Stubby, and I wish you all a great week. Go to bed, Val. Fucker out. Welcome to the
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.